Hello and welcome back to Haddingtonshire Histories. My name is Hanita and in this episode I had the pleasure of having a somewhat informal conversation with two guests on the topic of historical crimes and punishment. One of my guests is Donna Duff, Senior Librarian for East Lothian Libraries Adult and Digital Services. Donna has done extensive research on the subject of historical crimes in relation to family history. Joining us is Debbie Chalmers Turnbull, Visitor Services Officer of the John Gray Centre Museum and of Preston Grange Museum. Debbie has participated in previous episodes of Haddingtonshire Histories. Debbie has also done extensive research on crime histories and is an active member of the true crime community internationally. And she will share some of her knowledge and opinions on this topic. I must apologise in advance for any sudden background noises, but I do hope you will enjoy listening to Crime and Punishment in East Lothian. Thank you so much, uh, really, for coming in to... uh, you know, share your knowledge, your experience, and and hopefully to add a more uh, fun element uh, to this to this podcast too. So we've got lots to chat about, um, and let's begin. And um, I'm thinking that before we get into the gory stuff and the the humorous stuff and the more interesting stuff, we need to define uh, criminal conduct. So um, you know, what is criminal conduct. What constitutes a crime? Donna? Well, all sorts, really. I know from um, research I've done recently, it could be anything from breaking a window to murder to um, fighting. Mm. Historically, it was fighting in the streets, wasn't it? Between um, wearing factors. I know in in Fife, where I'm from, it was usually miners against labourers type thing, mm-hmm. um, and and that's what caused it at the pub on a Friday night sort of thing. So, <laughs> yeah. um, always room there for a bit of banter that turns more um, um, violent. 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 Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Debbie? Um, yeah. Well, there's all sorts, wasn't it? As you said, I mean. You could be st- stealing a pig. Yes. Yeah. Some something as simple as that. Uh, slander. That oh yes, huge, that's a, a good one. Yeah. Crime was it was slander. Uh, obviously now it's yeah it's very. I mean you, you know it's punishable uh, by uh, getting sued in the yes, courts. Sued. Yeah. <laughs> all sorts of money in those days. You got your, your tongue cut out basically. Yeah. Um. It was that sort of primal. Um. Poaching. Simply just going poaching, to the river. Yes. Yeah. Poaching uh, a fish, you know, you yeah. could result in, in all sorts of nasty things happening to you. Uh, and then you've got murder, yeah. you know, your serious yeah. witchcraft, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. being tried as a witch. Absolutely. Or accused of being a witch. So um, <clears throat> I've been looking at various uh, references. And of course, as the local history officer, I will give all the boring, factual, <laughs> cerebral facts. Um, so quite simply, what I found was that crime is a conduct, a behaviour which uh, the state disapproves of or wishes to suppress or prevent or a conduct which violates the law and the examples like in the examples you've given. Um, So 
what I found interesting is conduct is also considered uh, to be criminal if it is considered harmful to the community. Uh, the state will declare this particular behavior as illegal and deserving punishment. So this means unless an activity is condemned by common law, it can be done even if it is immoral or seems harmful. Mm -hmm. If it's not in the books, it can be done. So that's an interesting concept. It very much is because obviously that's the historical bit. Yeah. But if you're bringing it up today, especially the slander, yeah. Yeah. that's a, a real twist now because you do have to be careful what you say Absolutely. Now, quite rightly. Absolutely. Um, and so do the newspapers. If, yep. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. So sometimes what is regarded as a criminal act by the state is not seen as such by the by community. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah. vice versa, it, mm -hmm. it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So, you know, let's think about what kind of activities uh, that were highlighted as crimes in the past. You've already so mentioned already some. mentioned. So I've mentioned stealing, slander, mm -hmm. poaching, mm -hmm. rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. Rebelling against Riots. your community, yeah. rebelling against the state, rebelling against the king, the church, even. the church, the yeah. church. In fact, the church was one of, one the, of the major ones. That, yeah. Um, treason, mm -hmm. um, uh, witchcraft. Yeah. Um, so these are all, and, and simply having dis disagreements with your neighbours mm -hmm. was could also lead to you know strong criminal consequences actually even today even, even today, today. Yeah. and they're not that different you know a dispute about where their midden was yes you know um, <laughs> or somebody building a wall it can still be absolutely today, you know if a neighbor puts up a wall as we've got in our row of cottages where we there's somebody put up a wall and we're not happy about that so you've got all this still going on so it's not that different no those neighborly disputes no definitely not. now he did involve yeah. the wider community because there was larger families then so families would start warring with each other absolutely um historically the more popular crimes are pardon me adultery fornication and mm -hmm. prostitution yes. of, course. of course you'll find that you'll find these cases reported um, in the Kirk session, definitely mm -hmm. uh, in the Kirk session records, yes. yeah, yes. there's loads of them. So, um, uh, euphemistically, these crimes were referred to as "quote unquote" criminalities or irregularities of the affections. Uh -huh. <laughs> that's yeah, that's and, nicer than for in fortification. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, and as you mentioned, um, these are very much uh, were very much frowned upon by the Kirk mm -hmm. and of course punished by the state. Yes. And um, but what I found out was uh, apparently it infuriated uh, a lot of people that on many occasions the gentry, the landed gentry and their families could buy their way out of scandal by contributing money to the church funds. Yes. At the very least, they were allowed to sit uh, in their own loft, uh, which was usually an enclosed box, usually on an upper level, to receive uh, rebuke. Unlike uh, the rest of us, uh, regular folk, you know, you get all sorts. Um, it's yeah. really they funny. The great and the good. Yes. Yeah, the great and the good, yeah. yes. 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 Yeah. And... Um, in King Lassie Parish Church, there are pews with 
the surname of the families on them and it was That's a right. similar idea that they gave money to the church therefore they were allowed the front rows of the kirk and that's right. Next to the pulpit and so on. That's right. We That's noticed right. that in Whitby Abbey. We went to Whitby Abbey recently and we went to the church mm. up upside the Abbey and that was so strange how they had these separate little pews, pews. Yeah. and it was all very hierarchical. Definitely. You know, so the richer yeah. families and the yeah. were at the bottom and so could yeah. be near the pulpit yeah. and it was very much a sort of yeah, de- definitely, yeah. and it certainly has uh, you know applies to some of the crimes as well. Yes, yeah, yes. in yes. that respect. So, um, Debbie's mentioned quite a few now. Other popular ones historically were like body snatching. Yes, yes. yeah, cat. Well, stealing Famous cattle, Birkin stealing hair. yeah, burking yes. hair. Mm-hmm. Um, now also. I mean, women featured heavily Definitely. as well mm-hmm. uh, in terms of concealment of pregnancy and child murder. Yes. We've got Maggie yeah. Dixon. Ma- the yes, absolutely. We'll, Dixon. We, we will address uh-huh. that uh-huh. shortly. Um, and then, of course, highway robbery yep. was romanticised, but it was a serious crime. It was. Yes. Kidnapping. Um, also, it, it, you know, if, if you are operating an illicit still. Yeah. You know, so bootlegging, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Murder, uh, there's been a murder. Mm -hmm. Debbie's mentioned that. Piracy was obviously very popular uh, in the past, uh, but that that is a notable crime. Well, we still have piracy now. Smuggling. 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 That's huge in East Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, smuggling has taken on a new meaning today. And then, of course, uh, both of you mentioned witchcraft and treason uh, as well. But um, there was also forgery, money, forgery, yes. because people who worked in like metalworks mm-hmm. um, could forge money forge fairly money. That's right. straightforwardly. In fact, my, my husband's great gran got sent to Australia for forging money really? and then compounded mm. that by becoming a bigamist out there because <laughs> she got seven years out there, left her husband and children behind in Edinburgh and didn't return and got married and had a whole other family out there. That's okay. very interesting, actually, so, to, to do, you know, consider the psychology of that. Yes, it That's is. really but, interesting. But originally it was because she, um, she was found with forged coins made out of the, the metals that her husband um, had been using to, to make nails and um, wow. things yeah. out of in his work. So. Um, but since, since we've touched on the, you know, popular sort of crimes, we need now to... Think, the punishment. Think, punishment. think about the punishment. <laughs> and um, what I also found out in a lot of the reference books uh, on, on historical crime, um, the word that keeps cropping up is torture. Yeah, yeah. Torture was not forbidden as a means of examination uh, for guilt uh, in Scotland uh, or as a means uh, of punishing crime until the Treason Act of July 1709. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what do you think the kind of uh, punishments that were carried out in the past, Debbie? Well, if you think from sort of minor one, what you would call minor, like being put in the stocks. You yes. Know, you're humiliated. You're put in the stocks outside the church. Humiliation, um, yes. Humiliation. Um, um, for stealing, you would be um, made to pay a fine. Yeah. Again, you could be put in the stocks. Yeah. Uh, slander, um, they cut out your tongue yep. in, in extreme cases, and that happened quite frequently. Yep. There was also nailing your lug or your ear to the cross yep. uh, for slander. Um, poaching, you could be um, beaten, yep. maimed and hanged. Uh, obviously murder, 
uh, was usually execution by beheading or hanging. Rebellion, uh, treason, was usually execution uh, mm-hmm. by hanging or um, beheading. Yeah. Um, and if you were a persistent offender, you could be barred. You could be, you know, um, banished from the borough or the community and even sent, as you said, to Australia abroad. abroad. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you know, one mm-hmm. of the things I, I discovered was excommunication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, you know, oh, of course. How, they are threatened mm-hmm. with that. But um, in the courts, I mean, we're talking about humiliation here. And, um, you know, the popular saying, uh, you know, the current lingo is you do the crime, you do the, the time. time. Yeah. yeah. But excommunication was threatened. But if the offender promises to behave in future, um, it is recorded in the Kirk sessions, I found, as penitent and obedient to discipline. But. If you're saying, no way, Jose, you know, I'm not going to listen to you. It is recorded as, or the offender is obstinate. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so these are the words that, that they use. And there were people who refused to comply mm-hmm. um, because I suppose it didn't mean much to them. So excommunication is one. And Debbie mentioned fines. Mm-hmm. And apparently, historically, I mean, today, you know, we've got to pay fines, etc. All <laughs> sorts of fines. We're still paying fines. Yeah, yes. etc. But apparently in the past, if, if you couldn't afford the money, you could uh, leave items like spoons, yeah, etc. Right. Uh, as as like as like your pledge to you know pay yeah. the fine eventually. Mm-hmm. So that I thought was also very very interesting. Of course, um, again when we talk about humiliation and we're talking about involving the public, you mentioned hanging. Yes, hanging because the church and the state apparently. Well, not apparently. The church and the state work together very well, mm-hmm. harmoniously. Um, and so, you know, we mentioned, I mentioned adulterers and fornicators. They were public, publicly uh, hung and punished. Uh, an act in 1563 uh, mentions that adultery could lead to the hanging of both parties involved. And uh, a, good, a good point that you mentioned, Debbie, was reoffending. 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 Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you were an adulterer and you reoffended or were caught doing that, they did things like writing on a piece of paper uh, the details mm-hmm. and sticking it to your forehead and you stood in public. That's right. And then, um, you know, I, I'm thinking Game of Thrones uh, <laughs> vibes. Your heads were also shaved in public uh, as a warning to, to other people. And then have you heard of this riding the stang no so riding the stang the man was made to perch on a long pole often a, a tree trunk and which was carried through the town or the village while people beat him or threw things at him so that's humiliation to a higher level mm-hmm. right and then also a good point that you both mentioned is deportation and banishment deportation. yeah and you're absolutely right uh, uh debbie this does not always mean transportation abroad, mm-hmm. but simply forcing the offender over the boundary of the yes. parish. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, it caused them to reoffend in other areas. Um, so apparently this uh, solution was first introduced uh, by the court of King James the Sixth in 1617, and that was to send these offenders to the plantations of America and West Indies. So transportation of convicted prisoners to the colonies began in 
48. Mm -hmm. So that's when, you know, they were yeah. dispersed. They were sent or sent away. Uh, another common form of punishment, and I know what you'll say if I say this, branding. Yes. Yes. So we're scarlet letter. The scarlet yeah, letter. The scarlet letter. Literally, so that yeah. that it's not just you know what happened in America. Mm. Here, red hot branding iron to mark, and that scares me really. The face, the hand, or other parts of the body. For example, you know the letter T for thief. For thief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you know, if we read, if we've all read the Scarlet Letter, oh my goodness! And then another one that was popular, and this is awful: drowning. Yes. And apparently, drowning is a favorite for women. Yes. And also, ducking was also reserved yes. for women. Well, the ducking, ducking stool, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently, and it was how was that? Ironic that if how she actually that? drowned, they were usually innocent. Oh gosh! And if they floated. They, they were, were guilty. They were guilty. So if they drowned, then it was proof of their innocence. Absolutely. So there was no, <laughs> no way there around was it. A, but no, 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 situation there. It was, isn't Gosh, and I'm trying to imagine it. So apparently this tool you mentioned is, is attached yeah. to a beam which had a weight at the other end. And so the effect is like a seesaw. It is. Yeah. You know, effect as the woman is, mm -hmm. is uh, ducked. Yeah. How can yeah. she not drown or... Be severely inevitably well, they usually affected by yeah. this. Mm -hmm. And maybe they would mm -hmm. prefer that knowing that the other outcome wasn't very good either. That's mm -hmm. a good point. Mm -hmm. And then a popular one, and I have to mention this in East Lothian, jugs. Yes. Mm -hmm. The metal ring placed around the offender's neck. And in the case of gossips, they had an additional piece of metal attached to restrict the, the tongue. tongue. And mm. it's called the skull's Bridal? Bridal, yeah. Yep. There's a book and a and film. film. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that. Yeah, book and a film. Book and a film. And um, I wanted to also bring your attention to um, a device called the Maiden. Yes. 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 Okay, and it's similar to the guillotine used in the French yeah. Revolution. Um, and okay, so this is, a, this is an interesting story. It was brought to Scotland by the Earl of Morton. So... Its sharp blade, we can all see it, dropped down and severed the head mm -hmm. from the body. We all know this. Um, but ironically, this Earl of Morton discovered the effectiveness of this contraption himself when he was beheaded in 1581 for his part. <laughs> for his part. That's ironic. In the, in the murder of Lord Darnley, yes. Mary oh, Queen yes. of Scots's husband. Yes. I mean, indeed. talk about irony. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't make it the, up. No, the methods that's of your execution. Yes, you Absolutely. It. He yeah, brought it. it. <laughs> he introduced it and boom, he, he experienced he it. That. And mm. then there's something that I didn't know until I, I read in the history books. There's the act of nose pinching. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, yes, you know, iron frame, pain. you know, to, mm -hmm. you know, you know yes. clips and, and things like that. And then Debbie mentioned the stocks. Yes. Stocks is They're stocks still are there yeah. in some churches in yeah. East Lothian. If you've gone to some of the churches yeah, like Garfield, yeah. they've still the, got the, the stocks outside. It's, yeah. Ab absolutely. And then a particularly horrible one is pressing, where, mm. where the heavy objects are piled onto the bodies of prisoners until they were crushed, crushed. to mm -hmm. death. Mm. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Hawkins and... Yeah. Absolutely. And um, there, there is a phrase also called put to the horn, where a person was outlawed or forfeited of his land and possessions. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that's not too bad, but that's bad enough. Mm -hmm. And then apparently slavery. 
yes. is a form of mm-hmm. punishment mm-hmm. and yeah. particularly applied to vagrants because they were considered as idle and, and vicious criminals and and um so they could escape hanging yeah, no fixed abode yeah. yeah so they could but they could escape hanging by being gifted as slaves mm-hmm. and another one is whipping yes and that went that on, on. In the Isle of Man, oh I believe, remember the cat and nine tails, tails was still yeah. used mm. as a form of punishment in the Isle of Man up until I'm not quite sure when that was eradicated, but very recently recent past. past. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of things that have lasted till too long, <laughs> too too long till the recent past. It's yeah. um. Gosh, well, it's, it's almost all of the time the punishment fitted the crime, didn't it? They, yeah. they, they would, yeah. you know, like cutting out your tongue if you were slanderous yeah. and things, saying things against the the king. Or yeah. well, when you think hanging only was still in the what yes. nineteen, well, like what 50s? was fifty six? Yeah. 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 yeah, here, yeah, 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 yeah. As a yeah. as a punishment, yeah. so people is, are still being hung in other places. Yes, yes. they are. Yeah. This is still a very recent mm-hmm. yeah. in terms historically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, recent. I think uh, the Moors murderers, like Ian Brady and Myra Henley, mm-hmm. just missed. Yes. Yeah, they would have I been. See. Yeah. They would have been yeah. next. Yeah. If we hadn't stopped. I think Ruth um, Ellis. Ellis was the last woman yeah. to be hanged in Britain. Now. Let's let's move on from all this gore and and um, sad, uh, torturous uh, uh, ideas, uh, and think about who actually maintained law and order. Who did all the investigating? Um, uh, you know, in the past, do do you know? So you had town officers. Yeah. And they were appointed annually by the by the council, by the town council. Yes. And how it worked was they would go, they would sit with the town council and the town officers, and it was it was a form of you were handed a baton. Okay. And these batons are on display at darkest our darkest Dunbar exhibition museum yes. in Dunbar Townhouse at the moment. And so, if your baton was returned to you, then you were in office for another year. And town officers were. They were almost like police officers. They would go to market on market days. They would be overseeing, you know, anybody was stealing. Yes. Um, they were often, you know, with neighbourly um, disputes, they were brought in and they were, you know, give, they, were, they took statements from witnesses. Um, and Haddington, they were each appointed a different district. So you'd have one in the Nungay and you would have one on the High Street. Yeah. You know, it would be different places. Um, and they they were their duty was to to keep order, and secure people. So they also could arrest people, and then take them before the borough magistrates' court. So they fetched them. They were like escorts. That was their 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 duty. So it was like you're you sort of like, you know, not quite had the same powers as police officers do today, but near enough. Yeah. yeah. This it's, this is particularly uh, 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 this was particularly applicable in the eighteenth century mm-hmm. yes. the 1700s yeah yeah sorry it's interesting yeah. because our um death of a maid um radio play that mm-hmm. we're doing the libraries are doing for part of their once upon a crime i'd asked the um one of the museum officers dr claire Pennell, for um interesting artifacts that we could put in because what we wanted to do with the podcast well with the play was related to Haddington. It's very much in the theme of a 1950s 
radio drama style. Um, and we used the baton really? as the murder weapon, but only because it belonged to a town officer, not because yes. it belonged to a policeman. And he'd just had it returned mm -hmm. to him. Really? And th that was the weapon used. Mm -hmm. um, and it was an old Bible that had been stolen is linked in there too. So um, we've got parts one, two and three up and then four because we're doing it weekly. But it's interesting that batons then became police, police weapons. Police weapons. That they carried yeah, the baton. I think, do they still carry a baton? I think they yes, do. Yes, they they, they possibly do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not wooden anymore. Yeah. But, but they still it, have a baton. It's still I'm a sure powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. So these are actually... Um, just want to thank Dr. David Anderson for helping me with that. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Name dropper. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, these were all part-time uh, parish watchmen yeah, or constables. They yeah. So yeah. they were called constables. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was made uh, possible under what was called the Disarming Act yes. of 1724. Yeah. So, But even before this time, uh, as early as 1532, there is a record that Haddington uh -huh. took precautions and the town council, as you mentioned, mm -hmm, yeah. uh, ordained someone to wait and watch in the toll booth nightly and was paid money from the common good fund. Wow. So, so the the, the parish neighborhood watch, <laughs> yes. So this parish uh, constable system was finally deemed uh, a bit inefficient okay. in the early 1800s. Mm -hmm. um, and the, in this was reflected in, in episodes of fire raising yes. in farms and steadings. And in the 1820s, uh, that, that was popular. And then there was a riot in 1831 during the election of a member of parliament for the Haddington Borough. So uh, Lord Tweeddale, mm -hmm. he made an initiative um, which resulted in the pioneering element uh, in East Lothian in the East Lothian police force. So apparently there was a royal commission of inquiry in the period between 1836 to 1839, which resulted in what was called the Rural Police Act, which made it optional, I repeat, optional, optional. Mm -hmm. to set up a county police force. Yeah. So the obligation to set up a police force was not in place till the Scottish Police Act of 18. 57. 57. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's mm -hmm. the one. So um, I think uh, an efficient police force uh, in East Lothian and in Scotland, um, I think, was in operation by the 1860s. Yeah. Yeah, by the 1860s. Well, the borough courts lost their powers. They started to, you know, yep. as sort of like time went on, they, their, their powers became less and less and less. Yeah. And sometimes um, ministers as well. Oh, had to say in the kind of um, maintaining law and order. They had a lot mm -hmm. of power in, they did. in the old days. Um, yeah. Obviously, a lot in the witch trials yeah, and absolutely. more so than Gosh, mm -hmm. yes. maybe any other area. The church, but, yeah. um, if you were under the disapproval of your mm -hmm. local minister, that definitely went against you as opposed to anybody else yeah. in in the neighbourhood. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so where were these offenders uh, held or yeah, kept? so where were they? Because we, we know, obviously, through research, Haddington has courthouses. There were other 
areas, Preston Pants had the, the market cross and so on. Absolutely. Dunbar, Dunbar, yeah. jail. jail. So there were jails in East Lothian, yeah. Haddington, yeah. definitely. Yes. And I think it was located behind the area of the Sheriff Court right now, mm-hmm. yeah. according to old maps. Mm-hmm. Musselburgh, obviously, mm-hmm. North Berwick and yeah. Dunbar. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what, what was popular uh, uh, you know what were the the buildings that were used were the toll booths yes as we know Musselburgh toll booth is still there it is you know and yes. of course the townhouses uh, and the Dunbar townhouses had the j- uh, the jail uh, the police station yeah. uh, nearby uh, well attached you know in in that same uh, structure and apparently uh, I found out that say Haddington townhouse uh, you know uh, of course took over uh, the toll booths but. In the Haddington townhouse, they had jails on the ground floor mm-hmm. that sort of uh, mirrored mm-hmm. the toll booths. And this, uh, the, you know, they're, they're only used to hold, mm-hmm. yeah. hold the offenders. On on, on, yeah. That's yeah. right. In today's yeah. terminology. Yeah. Before they were taken Before away. Before they were tried. Yes. Yeah. So, of course, you know, I know through my own family research um, that records are are held in a lot of um, local authorities and including Edinburgh. I've done a lot of research in some of my not so salubrious ancestors being in Carlton Hill and so on. So um, it'll be great to see what um, local history in East Lothian, what the centre have. Absolutely. Um, That's a very good question, Donna. Um, For East Lothian... Uh, our colleagues in the archive service, uh, they facilitate quite a number of records and they are all held here mm-hmm. at the John Gray Centre. Uh, so, for example, there are various court records, uh, police charge books, prison reports, uh, things like complaints, documents and criminal registers and, you know, etc. Yeah. yeah, but the more interesting records that I myself have personally looked at is um, the Haddington Criminal Register. Yes. And then there's uh, also something called the Black Book mm-hmm. for Recording Criminals from 1725. Um, and the first entry in this particular book relates to the case of a vicious strumpet. It's so funny to think that a strumpet, a strumpet was the very first. Absolutely. <laughs> when, when you think of yeah. all the murders and yeah. the crimes we've yeah. talked about, yeah. it's... Being a strumpet. Being a strumpet. <laughs> Absolutely. And a disproportionate number of women appear in this book. They uh, do. Mo- mostly mm-hmm. for minor crimes. Yeah. Yeah. But but they do. Now, There's a lot Deeds of... and Processes book. Have you heard of the Deeds and Processes book? Yes, yeah. Yeah. that's right. Yeah. But, but a lot of court records uh, also uh, are kept in the National Records of Scotland. Yes, so, we're, we're, you know, in, in many cases, people have, have to go there. Uh, but apart from these... Um, I must highlight that the newspaper collection at the local history centre is a great resource. There are tons of crime-related articles reported in the Haddington Shire Courier, the Musselburgh News, the Haddington Shire Advertiser uh, on misdemeanours tried in the local sheriff courts, um, and some give a detailed account of incidents and they name names. So this would be a good starting point for researchers, uh, family history researchers. They can look up, uh, you know, an index and, and, and see what, 
uh, you know, activities their ancestors were getting involved in. And then once they've got those details, they can then consult more detailed records held either here in, uh, you know, in the archive store or at the National Records of Scotland, you know, to get more details. Absolutely. Um, okay, maybe we need to, this is, I think, would be a great time to, to think about some famous cases, some high-profile uh, stories and, uh, about crimes and, in yeah, East Lothian. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so um, the library service have just produced a crime map of East Lothian um, with Hanita's help. And the renowned crime writer Tony Black was kind enough to narrate the stories for us. Um, so you've got crimes for every single area, really. Um, what's interesting about that is you've got the historic crimes like Half Hang at Maggie from Musselburgh. Oh, we have to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, because again, going back to Debbie's point about concealing pregnancy. pregnancy that's a that's a very interesting one isn't about, it about maggie yeah. yeah yeah and the fact that they thought she'd gone, she'd gone. but she wasn't and they were driving yeah. along that she was in a cart. cart yeah because normally they might not have got the body no. back um, and she was being brought along and they went over a bump yeah and then she sort of <laughs> coughed and sat up. i think near the sheep's head in yeah, Duddingston. Yes. i think Indeed, that's where that's yeah. yeah, yeah, but tell us some more about the the crime map, Donna. So the crime map is um, we've done it very simply, and it's QR codes based. Um, Brilliant! You can, you can find it on um, the library's webpage under the Once Upon a Crime Festival. Um, so it's online, and we have got some brochures in branches, uh, and you click on the QR code of the relevant town. So we've got one for the twelve. Um, areas that we've got branches in and you'll hear Tony Black narrate a story about it and what's good about that is that he was so enthused with doing it that he's going to take those stories and research them better than I had time for and going to create a book about them so um, it's, it's quite interesting that um, he's doing that for us, but also I think it was because they're so different. Yeah, we deliberately tried to get different crimes because, mm. as Debbie and Anita have said, the, there's a whole wealth of crimes that have Absolutely. been committed. So we've got Half Hang at Maggie, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we've got the Warlock of Preston Pans, um, and it's unusual. You'll both agree for a male yeah. to be classed as a witch because. Absolutely. As you said, with the criminal registers, female, wasn't it? predominantly female. Um, we've got, you talked about Lord Darnley earlier. We've yes. got um, the Earl of Ormiston, yes. who was involved in the, the treason of that. Um, and talking about, again, going back to the beheading and the hanging, we've got the um, Trenent case of John Henry, who was a, a miner, a coal miner, who was not only hanged, but then to serve as a warning to anyone else who wanted to set fire to coal buchs in the area, his head was paraded on a stick through Little Foreside Trenent, so as a warning to others not to try it. Um, So there's a wealth of cases. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, Mm -hmm. but every single area, Dunbar, North Berwick, 
Longnedry, um, East Linton. We found one for every area. Um, but I have to say, just as a slight humour, Wallyford, what were we like? <laughs> we tried to find a historic crime for Wallyford, but the people of Wallyford are so, were so good. Well-behaved Wallyford. Well-behaved Wallyford that the, the, on, the only historic crime we could find was the brewery troubles in 1959 really that's fairly recently so that's again yeah. fairly recently i remember a murder in wallaford though oh debbie would this is debbie's yeah, but that's 70s the 70s not historically by mm-hmm. all the other mm-hmm. crimes within the map mm, i think yes. the latest prior to 1959 if you like was 1907 right we could not find anything really? for inverness wallaford area so if anyone does know of one, please please <laughs> tell us, because we did spend a bit of time looking, but good old Wallyford. Eh? Yeah, <laughs> I've actually uh, used this map and mm-hmm. listened, you know, uh, used the QR codes. Yeah. And uh, what's also good is uh, it, he narrates, Tony Black narrates it in a very <laughs> dramatic, uh, entertaining fashion. Uh, fashion. And so it's really enjoyable. It's not just somebody reading off a script. No. He's actually performing it. So, you Makes know, you it's want quite, to get interested yes. in the story. Absolutely. It's, it's quite enjoyable. Um, yeah. I, I want to highlight uh, a crime, actually, a historical crime from a very, very long time ago. And Haddington is uh, in Haddington and Haddington is noted uh, for this crime, if, you know, if, if you're looking into the topic of crime. And um, it's, it's a case of patricide. And uh, it involves this man called Philip Stansfield, oh, yes, who hated yes. his father. You both would have heard of Sir Philip Stansfield. I did a lot of Field. research when I worked in Oh, Hales did you? Oh, Philip great. Stansfield. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so his relationship, this Philip Stansfield's uh, relationship with his mother, apparently generated some gossip in, in their society. So um, what he did was he killed his father by strangulation at New Milnes in 1687. Uh, when his father, or the reason for it is because his father disinherited him in yeah. favour of his brother John. So he tried to cover up the crime, but he was charged, of course, with high treason, libel for cursing his father, and murder under trust, which means murdering someone who had shown confidence in him, um, and that's usually a, a parent, a sibling, a child or a servant, uh, based on post-mortem reports and witness testimonies. So what happened to this guy was he was hung at the Mercat Cross in Edinburgh, not here in Haddington, but in Edinburgh. It's, it's particularly awful. His tongue was cut off and burnt. Mm-hmm. His right hand was cut off and nailed to the East Port Gate of Haddington, though. Yes. That was brought back to Haddington. So his bodily remains were taken in chains to Gallows Lee in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. So, gosh, that, that was one of the famous crimes, uh, you know, yeah. for Haddington. the last trial by blood. Wow. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what happened was he was taken to the corpse yeah. of his father and he had to touch it. And if the corpse bled, then he was guilty. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. There was... The blood had pulled, maybe. Had pulled. And actually, by pressing down... Of course. Yes, it would, you know... Expunge. Yeah. It, 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 it did expunge. It wasn't work. magic, yeah. Um, that it was, was the science. Last trial by blood. 
goodness me. Wow. I see. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't that know bit. that bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't know that Child bit. By blood. That's mm-hmm. very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so would you know? Well, of course, we we touched on half hanging Maggie. Ma- well, half hanging Maggie refers to uh, Maggie Dixon from Musclebra. Yeah. Uh, for listeners who might not know, and and it's not the- just a pub in the grass market. <laughs> 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 no, no. And the story about, uh, you know, the story is that uh, she came back to life after being hanged in Edinburgh's grass market, mm-hmm. hence the pub, uh, for murdering her child. And um, so, you know, the pub was named uh, after her. Yeah. But, and mm-hmm. yes, please. No, no. We were just talking about it earlier and uh, it was unusual to get the body brought back yep. when it was a, a, mm-hmm. a hanging crime, mm-hmm. wasn't it? It was very unusual. And she was, what was happening? She was travelling, they were travelling back with her. Well, they had her, well, on a cart. alleged body on the back of a cart, a horse-drawn yep. cart. Yeah. And they were coming through Duddingston, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think this is where it happened, along by the Sheep's Head. Yeah. You know, because yeah, that's a very old pub in Scotland. Scotland yeah. Yeah. And the horse went over a bump. There was a sort of like uneven part. And she kept, came back to life. To life. Yeah. She obviously had just was been... Resuscitated. She was resuscitated. Gosh. So, yeah. 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 And uh, went on to, I think, yeah, cause have they more hang children. Again, they couldn't hang her again. Uh, yeah, really she had, uh, I think, I believe she went on to have more children. Yeah. How did mm-hmm. how did that? I mean, she was hung. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but they can't, ha- but they can't they, be hung twice. twice. So. so that the hanging. Sorry to sound so, um, but you, you know, could macabre, possibly but be unconscious enough. Yeah. And that people think you're, you're dead, and mm-hmm. your heart rate yeah. stopped. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To such a point, and remember, it, it the time that it was, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have the forensics in the. No stuff we have that, today we have that today. would that would categorically and the jolts could always been like you're sort of like doing your your CPR. Yes, yeah. that's right. You know. Yeah. And and it, it jolted her heart back, which had possibly stopped. Yeah. And it, it that's you know. a very that was and again there was probably so many hangings done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At that time in yeah. that place that yeah. you wouldn't be. Um, too careful about. Yeah, it's like next. Ne- yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, just next. Be, there would be and one year belt. Yeah. Wasn't it like yeah. it was sort of one or two days set aside and they just they did every one day, yeah. certain yeah. days. Yeah. So Gosh, it wasn't awful. like it was a full scale, you mm-hmm. know, thing. She would just be one of many that day. How awful. And you've got that pub there called The Last Drop. Yeah. Because it was where they had their the last, last drop. drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. And then you've got more recent crimes yes. coming up to the 70s with the World's End murders. Oh, gosh, yes. yes. But before that, can I just tell you all of um, uh, a couple of other historical crimes mm-hmm. that I think are interesting before we get to that famous uh, case? Um, so apparently in, in Spot, not apparently, this is, this is a fact. <laughs> I, I do beg your pardon. Um, there was a minister by the name, this is a famous case, yes. uh, by the name of John Kello. So the story is, he found himself uh, in great debt when and uh, some of his attempt at, you know, in those days, property speculation, yeah. can you imagine that, failed. So he hatched a premeditated plan to kill his wife, Margaret, whom he deemed was sort of curtailing his ambition uh, for social and financial advancement. Yes. Now, why would he think that? So what he did was he spread negative rumours about his wife's health condition so this is like proper planning and then he, he meditated yes and then he created a will to secure his family's financial future and prepared for a more financially advantageous second marriage 
So he did his homework. He did his homework. So on 25th September 1570, after giving a sermon, Kello, this John Kello, invited several parishioners to his home. And conveniently, they found his wife hanging in a bedroom. And, you know, the scenario seemed like a suicide. So eventually, his mistake or his fatal mistake was that he told another minister by the name of Andrew Simpson from Dunbar. Conscience got mm. the better. Yeah. About a terrible fever he had, having a vivid dream of facing a judge and running away from winged angels. So this is all recorded, <laughs> mind you. So when he later visited this Andrew Simpson, this Dunbar minister now suspected that this was, as Donna put it, a guilty conscience. And he accused Kello of murder and told him, right, you've got to admit culpability. So what does he do? He confesses to his crime and, well, to authorities in Edinburgh. And he said he's, what he did was he strangled his wife with a towel while she was praying, mind you. <gasps> Can you imagine? And then suspended her body from a hook uh, in the ceiling. So on 4th October 1570, John Kello was hanged and then his body was burned at Galilee, popular area, beside Leith Walk in Edinburgh. So that's, uh, you know, to use a, a Shakespearean term uh, from the play Hamlet, thus conscience makes cowards of us all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but then, you know, we were talking about Maggie and we were talking about the vicious trumpet and, you know, women feature, you know, heavily in, in records. And, 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 you know, we need to think about what, what drives them to these, to these crimes. And there, there was one case in 1905 uh, on the Half Moon Plantation in Archerfield. Yeah. That's okay. in the map as well. Yes, that's in the map, yeah, where the body of a one-month-old infant was found covered uh, in a discoloured white robe and placed in a small brown paper package on the Archerfield estate. And then, of course, there was some quick investigation and, and they found that a guy called John Rose, who was a horse dealer, was working as a groom at Archerfield. He was charged with suffocating and murdering this apparently illegitimate female child of a lady called uh, Miss Jean Scott, whom he had been intimate with yeah. when she was in service at Archer Field. So after various testimonies uh, on Miss Scott's character uh, and the course of events involving these two people, the jury found John Rose not guilty. Oh, well. So no charges were also laid on Jean Scott either as culpability, uh, and, you know, for, and, and culpability for the baby's death mm -hmm. was never established. So there was a, I mean, was there a crime committed here? Mm. Possibly. Possibly. But again, it must be, it, it's very unusual in mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. there was no criminal, no activity to be judged mm -hmm. criminal yeah. Yeah. in that case. Because yeah. yeah. in most cases very where unusual. it was mm -hmm. um, infant deaths and so on, the women would be held responsible yeah, absolutely. anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we talked right at the very beginning. Yeah. We discussed the definition of crime. Indeed. Yeah, and, and here, apparently, nobody was uh, put away or yeah. punished for it. I mean, it's interesting because going back to the what kind of activities were highlighted as crimes and what kinds of punishments, um, 
you know, you kind of think that all crimes were treated the not the same, but all similar nature of crimes would be given the same sort of punishment, mm -hmm. which isn't always the case today. No. But then you can tell by that one that obviously there were some judges, courts, mm -hmm. that maybe saw... Considered the considered case, the case on really, really merits. properly. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, this, this is a nice uh, point for us to, to consider, um, and I've mentioned this before, the motives... Yeah. Uh, you know, of, of, you know, the motive patterns. What is it that, why is it, why is it that people committed crimes of various kinds? But do you not think things like strumpets, for example, that's no different from today's mm -hmm. society, really, mm -hmm. is it? Where females are seen as leading people on, mm -hmm. but men don't. Mm -hmm. They're more studs. Mm -hmm. And historically, mm -hmm. it just seems to be, it's not just a, you know, not mm -hmm. recent, but it's not just a thought process from this century. It's clearly Ooh. gone on for a while. So yeah. whereas a, a female who, you know, likes to be around town and likes to mm -hmm. be around males is seen as a strumpet. Yes. And a vicious yeah. strumpet at that. A vicious, vicious strumpet. You know, yeah. it's the term vicious. What What made that one different from... So there's a case in Dunbar of um, a strumpet who got sent to Australia um, as part of the convict times um, for not only being a strumpet, but refusing to stop smoking a pipe. And Gosh. you think, oh, my goodness, <laughs> is that really a crime? I don't know. It was improper for a lady to smoke. smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So in terms of the sort of motive patterns, so that was like rebellion, wasn't it? It was, was rebellion. rebellion. Mm -hmm. This was true even in the 20th mm -hmm. century. Mm -hmm. I think. In terms of, uh, you know, uh, societal perceptions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it would be really interesting if we took the legal terminology of yeah. crimes from then and put them against some crimes today. Today. And talked about what would this be under today. Because, yeah, very interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Some of it you do think, is it just like you said about the. Uh, um, half Moon Plantation. When yeah. Was there a crime? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was there not? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when we're talking about women here, yeah, uh, there you know crimes uh, committed by women or allegedly committed by women seem to uh, be linked with passion. Mm -hmm. Always and, and emotion. Crime of passion. Yeah. Um. And not and always. Not not always. No. Yeah. But then there's still the emotion mm -hmm. aspect if they end up pregnant mm -hmm. and yeah. not supported by family or fathers or whatever. Yes, well, Ruth Ellis was very much in it. There's a, a whole, emotion, yeah, there's a whole, yeah. uh, you know, uh, link to patriarchy that, that requires another podcast, I yes, think. Yes, yeah. definitely. But I think Debbie knows a lot about... Um, well, I was going to talk about the World End mergers because that was one of the ones in the more recent. Absolutely, so just yeah. Very bit, popular. Well, it was, isn't it? And for, for years and years, it was unsolved yes. until very, very recently. Yes. And uh, the World End Murders is a sort of colloquial name given to the murder of two girls, Christine Eady and Helen Scott. They were both 17 years old. Yes. Uh, so young. And they were having a drink in Edinburgh in October 1977. And the case is so-called the World End because that's where they were last seen yeah. leaving. Um, but the only person to stand trial uh, accused of the murders was Angus Sinclair. Uh, he was acquitted in 2007. 
uh, in controversial circumstances following the amendment of the law of double jeopardy, which is again another one that's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, which would have prevented his retrial. Sinclair was retried in October 2014 and convicted of both murders on the 14th of November 2014. So that is one where the, the double jeopardy was actually overridden. Ridden. Yes. I see. Um, because it was overwhelming forensic evidence yeah. to link him to the crime. Um, he was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum of 37 years, um, meaning he would have been 106 years old when he was eligible for parole. Gosh, um, yeah. However, he died <clears throat> at HM Prison, Glenocle, uh, aged 73 uh, in 2019. Mm. So Debbie, maybe you'd like to tell us uh, the great significance of the world and murders to East Lothian. Well, the thing is, Hanita, both of the uh, girls' bodies were actually found in East Lothian, several miles apart. Christine's body was found in Gosford Bay and Helen's body was found in a field of Huntington Coach Road near Gifford. Yes, that's right. And um, with all the spotlight on this case, um, it is now going on record as one of the most uh, famous uh, criminal cases uh, in relation with his Lothian. It is, absolutely, Hanita. From my research, a lot of the motives of criminals of the past, it's been a, an, an almost a needs must. Mm -hmm. yeah. They've mm -hmm. um, forged coins because they're hungry. Or poverty. It's all economic, isn't it? Mostly. from historic. I'm mm -hmm. not saying, obviously, we've, we've highlighted... The passion, but it's of a consequences. Course, yeah. There's consequences of living in poverty. Yes. yes. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> Political. Yeah. yeah. And drunkenness, drunkenness. A lot of drunkenness. Yes. Again, the... Miners versus labourers, gangs and, and so on. Whereas, although technically it's not different from day, murder is murder, you know, a crime of passion is a crime of passion. passion yeah. I think the motives behind it is maybe yeah. slightly different yeah. from historic to today. today. Yeah. Today, I think a lot of people just go, well, I can get away with it, or mm -hmm. I think I can get yeah. away with it. And well, then yeah. you've got your psychopaths. Indeed. Well, yeah. that's that's the other no. side. There's so yes. you've got psychopaths. Yeah. I don't, and again, I'm just basing it on research I've done. Um, aside, no emotion. Or... One or two cases, mm -hmm. the, the, there's not been the historic serial killers. killer. It's been uh, here and now mm -hmm. and done with, whereas obviously... Apart we, from Jack, well, you've got Jack the Ripper. Jack well, the that's Ripper. the most famous, yeah. mm -hmm. and then, of course, the later ones in the 20th mm -hmm. century. Yes. But yeah. mm -hmm. historically, yeah. Yeah. there's not been... No. The majority's been yeah. the recent. Mm -hmm. Recent, yes, yeah. absolutely, apart from Jack the Ripper. Yeah, um, um, yeah. and I, yeah, I, I suppose it is economic. And the Yorkshire Ripper. The Yorkshire yes. Ripper, yes, that was recent. And... Um, one of the things I came across was um, a topic on poison. Oh, that's very yes. interesting. Yes, and how poison is the, uh, the choice of women. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, very, and still is very tough. Mm -hmm. Really, and yes. Is, yep. very, and we, we, read about, mm -hmm. we read about this in, mm -hmm. in storybooks. Mm -hmm. um, and apparently, historically, uh, the reason I found was that it was easy to obtain poison from a dispensary. Um, and uh, this is true in Scotland, you know, and uh, laudanum 
was used also yes, as, as a stimulant mm -hmm. by uh, the working classes. Um, and there was no poison register kept. And therefore, there was no signature required, uh, you know, uh, uh, for purchase until, would you believe it, the late 19th century? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, and, and at that time, forensic science was still new. Um, and it was rare for a doctor uh, or a judge even to insist on examining the organs of a yeah. corpse. Mm -hmm. um, and there was very little knowledge of pathology. Mm -hmm. You know, and that takes us into forensics now. Yeah. Well, again, though, mm -hmm. um, going back to the poison idea and um, last year's Book Week Scotland mm -hmm. um, topic on herbivores and, mm -hmm. and witchcraft, um, the research showed that a lot of time it was the herbs and flowers they used. Yes. And it was almost accidental overdose yep. rather yep. than deliberate. deliberate. Yep. Yeah. Um, Premeditated. Premeditated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In natural poisons. Natural poisons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Found in plants and berries yeah. and, and and arsenic was a I was a, was a keen one. I spent too much time watching Miss Marple and <laughs> Well, I think it's like arsenic and we're, we're, we're talking about Ar Agatha Christie's well, the flying you know, it's always arsenic. The arsenic on it, Absolutely. Yeah. But what's interesting is I also looked at statistics in East Lothian. As you do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sorry. As, as I do, you know, within my, my, uh, my job. And the statistical accounts um, actually, on the whole, say that East Lothian is actually quite well behaved. We are. Yeah, very well behaved. And, you know, rare uh, will you be able to find a heinous crime. So it's mostly all this ad adultery and... Mm -hmm. Communication yes. and not paying, uh, you know, your fees, uh, your your fees, fees. Mm -hmm. uh, stealing, a little bit of this and that. And then, um, uh, of course, in effective policing when it came about really helped. Yeah. But one interesting um, uh, fact I found was that during the Second World War period in East Lothian, crime, uh, crime against persons were low or hardly any. Mm -hmm. It was more property related yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. it was more property related um and but cr crime crime was low so we have you know we can say that you know east lothian uh not too bad yeah, you know very, yeah. <laughs> we couldn't find any in, in wallyford yeah so were there any well of course you know when when, when incidents like recent uh uh body found in was it in Long Nidri yes. that yes. blows up you know mm -hmm. the, in the media it's very very rare, rare. a yeah. lot of the times it is missing people it's yeah. not necessarily premeditated mm -hmm. murder it's mm -hmm. not even murder let alone premeditated mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so Jane Green the author um, she wrote an article in one of the newspapers which um, she gave us permission to produce as well says 80% of females, 80% of the audience for true crime podcasts, TV shows, etc. are female. Yes. Mm. Yep. And that, I find, is quite interesting. That's very interesting. Because in my, I'm in the true crime community. I'm involved yeah. in lots of different uh, forums, groups, discussion groups, podcasts. It's predominantly female. And it's not all female, no. but it's predominantly female. Why is this? Well, they don't Why know. Why is this? And what is it? Why is it fe predominantly sleuths, female? Because, I don't know, we're either super sleuths or we're looking for ways <laughs> to... You know, I've been married 34 to, years. To escape <laughs> our <laughs> daily life. cases, because I watch them. Yes. Um, Kerry Siegler, who used to be a oh, yes. prosecutor, her Just yes. Call Justice. Um, 
she, she's fabulous. She's got this new program. Well, I mean, it's not that new program, um, but she used to be a prosecutor in Texas, mm -hmm. and she did some really high-profile cases, and I I've watched them all. But I'm not sure, Hanita, why it's why. I'd like to think that it's it's because of how women think. How, We're how, quite analytical. You know, analytical. How, how we analyse things. Yes. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's different, regardless of whether uh, it is uh, coloured with emotion or, mm -hmm. or not. Yeah. It's just how we think, how we see life. And, um, yeah, and, you know, we, we, women operate in the world in a different way from men. They do. And so, and that's been established. Yes. You know, over time, and we we celebrate that. We do. Yeah. Now, so um, we've an, got cold case files in cold the library. Case Foundation. I'm involved with that as well. Goodness, well, Debbie! That. Wow. Do you know what? We we bought in um, for the library service because we were hoping to do something like the Thursday Murder Club. Uh -huh. Oh, and really? It's cold case files, so you can. I be want in, to be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, go to any of our live. So we're hoping it will be a monthly event, and what it is is. The packs come, so we've got a child-friendly one, which is Find the Missing Rabbit, right. Honey Bunny. And this is for members of the public? This is for members of the public. It yeah. could be families, it could be intergenerational. Anyone can just come along and join in. Mm -hmm. um, we had an event at Preston Pan's Library last week where um, there was kids involved and then adults were just coming over out of interest and you get the case and it's three questions so it might be, why could this person not be the murderer? And you have to solve that before you can then get the second question. And then you have to say, well, how did he do it? And then you have to solve that question oh, to go, the third question, why did he do it? You get all the witness statements, you get the autopsy report. It's not gory. It's not, you know, it is for a family-friendly mm -hmm, mm -hmm, age. Mm -hmm. Okay. But you literally become the forensics. You get the... That. pictures photographs of whatever the mm -hmm. case is about you get the witness statement so you can do it as a role play i'll be a witness you be this person are these real cases these are based, based, on, based on based on based real on. cases but for entertainment right and but basically you go into one of the libraries and you can ask to do it and as i said it can be a family event it could be a like a knit and that group coming mm -hmm. they might change their mind up it's too hot and it will do this um that would be great. right down your street absolutely absolutely yeah. debbie we should maybe do it one afternoon one night okay ladies you know how you know we've we've talked about so many things here from facts and cases and punishments etc and motivations um what is the significance of all this and you know as usual i will always ask what is the historical value of of this knowledge of crimes and and misdemeanors in, in your opinion i think part of it is the genealogy mm -hmm. the the family side of it not just because people are interested in what their ancestors did did but how it relates to them because everyone is interested in the genetics as well as mm -hmm. the genealogy. <clears throat> so um, if people act a certain way, why do we act like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, exactly. do we yeah. have a violent temper? Well, yeah. Where did that come from? Mm -hmm. And they want some people mm -hmm. do want 
So the historic value is Absolutely. to go back through the generations and yeah. find that out. A record of human behaviour. A record of human behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. It's not yeah. so much yeah. the genealogy as the genetics, mm-hmm. as yeah. you say. And any afflictions. And the afflictions mm-hmm. and Isn't it? Yeah. so on. And indeed, on the Long Lost Family programme recently, yeah. Yeah. there was one that said exactly that. Yeah. They thought their dad was a murderer. How will I know that that's yeah. not going to be passed mm-hmm. down? So mm-hmm. it clearly is yeah. historical value for that and quite significant. Absolutely. I don't know about... No, I agree, I agree Donna. Have motivations really changed? I'm not sure that they have. No. no. You know, you, you talk about lust, a big one, lust, greed, you know... It's the seven sins, uh, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It is, it and is. it's been that way. But, but also, one... Overarching the punishment has changed, the, but, lot, yeah. but the, the motivation hasn't really. The, o- the overarching uh, theme is, is how we humans are affected by our social and our bioeconomic circumstances, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. except for people who are medically afflicted, you know. Uh, you know. And it's also interesting for statistics to find out who committed these crimes, what, what, you know, what, was, what was their social circumstances. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. that were are some people more likely to commit crimes yes. because of where they live. Yeah. Yes, yeah. indeed. And I think that's yes. interesting. That's true. But another thing we also learn about is uh, on power and authority. We learn about power yes. and authority mm-hmm. and whether that has evolved throughout time, even though, as you mentioned, punishment methods have changed. Yes. Uh, you know, this, this realm of power and authority is necessary. Indeed, but yeah. also, if we look at the history of crime, it tells us, uh, you know, the history of power and authority and why it's important. So, um, yeah. Now, before we end, maybe uh, the both of you would like to highlight uh, anything crime-related that the museum service is, is involved in and, and the library service uh, is involved in. Well, obviously for museums, um, we've, at the moment we have an exhibition, uh, Darkest Dunbar, and that's at Dunbar Townhouse at the moment. Uh, so, Darkest Dunbar? Darkest Dunbar. Yeah. Also uh, interested to go down to uh, visit Dunbar Townhouse. Yes, definitely. For the historic uh, value with the witchcraft mm-hmm. themes um, down and there. That were the, that's where the police station was and that's where police prisoners... Was, prison, there was a yeah. Dunbar jail as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. And the various items, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah. 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 And again, Brickwood Scotland, as always, comes up in November. This year's theme is heritage. So, although it won't solely be on the, the criminal activities, we've obviously touched on the fact that Tony Black is going to um, produce more on the famous crimes here. Um, we are working with museums and um, obviously Hanita within the heritage side um, of things. So that would be the historic cases. It would also be what heritage has do we have within East Lothian in terms of the places and the punishment areas and so on. Um, and also, just as a last aside, um, we have had Ancestry as an e-resource for a number of years. We're now delighted to be nearing completion of um, being able to subscribe to Find My Past in the British Newspaper Archive. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Which will be a, a godsend. A very useful resource for family history researchers. It is. And again, 
we're trying hard to get more local resources of a historic nature into our branches because we're aware that not everyone can travel to the local history centre um, and spend time here. Um, and so we will be working closely with Anita um, on that side of things. And Absolutely. Get some, some information out. Absolutely. That's great. So thank you, ladies. Thank you so much, you. Debbie yes, and you. Donna. Really I've really enjoyed yeah. Our, yeah. our chat today yes. on all things crime. And, you know, there's lots more to talk about, but maybe maybe for another time. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it, folks. Tune in next time for more enlightening topics on the history of East Lothian. Thank you for listening, take care and goodbye. Hello John, good afternoon. Thank you so much for making time to come and speak with me about all things Siege of Haddington. Pleasure, pleasure to be here. That's great. Now, before we start talking about uh, the Siege of Haddington group and all of its uh, activities, could you please introduce yourself and tell us about... Uh, the Siege of Haddington Research Group, and how you are involved. Well, that's a long story. Uh, <laughs> we can start at the beginning. So uh, my name's John Cooper. I'm um, a student over at Glasgow University. just done my PhD um, com- on something completely not connected with the Siege of Haddington. However, I did an MLIT uh, back in 2008, a conflict archaeology MLIT, in which I uh, wrote a dissertation about the siege of Haddington and the fact that the fortifications seem to have disappeared. Mm. And uh, as a conflict archaeologist, we're interested in what traces of this kind of stuff left in the landscape. Um, for one reason or another, I then went across to Singapore for about, went out there for 18 months, ended up out there for seven years. So I did a whole bunch of World War II stuff. Came back in 2016 to find that uh, the local council here were using the dissertation as an indicator for their planning, looking in people's back gardens and when a gazebo needs to be put up, they were thinking, ah, well, is this anything to do with the siege underneath that person's property, which was really good and it demonstrated um, uh, an interest in in the dissertation and the siege in general. So there was a growing swell of understanding about the siege. And at that point, um, I thought, well, we better follow up on the research and went along to the Haddington's History Society and said, can I help? Can I set up a group? And they've asked me to be the project coordinator, therefore, of a, of a group called the Siege of Haddington Research Group, SHRUG. Wonderful. I, I like the, you know, the use of the acronym. Yes, That's and so people cool. go, oh, shrug. what shrug and for? You, you could see this. <laughs> you need <laughs> to create an emoticon and, yeah. and so yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's uh, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so before we go any further, I think uh, firstly we need to set the scene, oh, and yeah. and so could you briefly give us a bit of a background to the siege of, if I'm not mistaken. 1548 to 1549, Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, it seems if you walk around Haddington today and you ask people about the siege, they, they, might, they, they, they might look you blankly in the face. There was a siege? There was a siege here, <laughs> yeah. And um, actually, it's claimed, it's debatably Scotland's longest siege, for okay. starters. And it just follows quickly on from Scotland's bloodiest battle, the Battle of Pinky Clerk of 1547. And this is during the Anglo... Scottish 
Wars. Yeah, so we're middle of the 16th century. Yeah. We're talking Henry VIII, yes. Edward, and we're talking uh, Mary, Mary of Queen Geese. of Scots, Mary, Mary of Guise, her yes. mum, looking after the place when there's a young Mary uh, being uh, oh, yes. pushed around Europe, deciding who she's going to be married off. The period is known as the rough wooing yeah, because right. both sides are trying to persuade the Scots to hand over the Queen to their court, be it the French or be in the English court, to marry off to form an act of union form, uh, through, through the monarchy. So it's um, preceded the actual union of the crowns, mm -hmm. uh, but it was all part of that same grand strategy to link yeah. Scotland to one side or the other. Um, Haddington itself, well, well, the Battle of Pinkie had proven to the English that they could come across the border, head over to Edinburgh, arrange for a big scrap outside yeah. Edinburgh, have a big battle, and most of the time the English are winning these things, and then knock the Scottish army out of the frame, and then perhaps persuade the government to, to do what the English want them to do. So that was what Pinkie was all about, and it cost the lives of around about 10,000 Scots yes. in one afternoon. And yes. that's, if you thought knife crime was bad this day and age, knife crime in the 16th century yeah. is major, major problem. Setting so the, the bar. It's setting the bar. Yeah. Scotland's bloodiest battle. But again, when you talk about it, people say, well, they know Culloden and they know Bannockburn and they know perhaps Flodden, but Pinky, Pinky has faded from the memory. Maybe it's because the Scots lost Mm -hmm. and were beaten, mm -hmm. the, and so we've kind of pushed that one to, to one side. However, the English didn't achieve much by having this battle. The guy who was running the shop, a guy called Protector Somerset, who was representing the, the English in Scotland, he fell back to the border, but he had a more of a cunning plan. It wasn't just knock the, knock the Scots army off the, out of the equation. He was coming further north again the following year, but this time he was going to stay permanently. I see. This was going to be an occupation rather than an invasion. Now, the best way of coming up into Scotland is to follow what is now the A1. Yes. Follow the coast road in. Yes. And this means that you go through from Berwick, yes. a nice secure base on the border, and you come up through all the fortification, all the towns and things. If you can fortify various places along the route, all the way to the, like the Goldilocks zone, just close enough to Edinburgh to pose a threat, yeah. but far enough away to stop the, the people of Edinburgh coming to you. So you're in that kind of zone. And Haddington happened to be in that Goldilocks zone. Oh, yes. It's right smack bang on the A1. It's the main route into town. It's, um, it's far enough away. If you're going to put about 2,000 horsemen in town, they can ride to Edinburgh. Very convenient for their Burn strategy. Burn Musselburgh. Have a look at Dalkeith. You Burn know, Musselburgh. You know, they can, they can do stuff. Yeah. And... and um, the idea is for this force to, uh, to win over the hearts and minds of the local Scottish lairds in East Lothian. Now, how do they do that? Well, if you've got 2,000 horsemen sitting in Haddington, every night they can ride out and knock on the door of a local laird and say, do you mind if we put up our horses here? Do you mind if we, if we negotiate for you to sell us corn? Do you mind if we ask you which side are you on? Are you on the Queen Mary's side or are you or for England? Yeah. Are you Fra Francophile or Anglophile? And you imagine the, the guy at the door at that time of night going, well, what do I say? You know, yes, you the know. scenario is, is not a friendly one. It's would you not, say? Yeah. Or is um, it, well, would, it, would, would there do? be an undercurrent... 
when they approach these lads. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, what would you do um, in the same situation? Uh, would you align with the English? I'd probably align with the person knocking on the door. You'll have to <laughs> for do a quick, very quick assessment. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. And, and read the room. Read, yeah, and then you can bet your bottom dollar tomorrow night it'll be the French and the Scotch knocking on the door saying, I've heard you've signed, signed on to the English side. Yeah. So it's a matter of survival for local Scots in yes. East Lothian, and they have to make these decisions. So Haddington is then set up as a garrison town. Um, and then the Scottish army, who's, who's uh, recovering from the shock of Pinky, have called in the French to come yes. and help them. So about 5,000 French soldiers arrive in Leith, and they, they realise that Haddington is the hub. As the English put it, Haddington would be the daunter of the Scots. If we could hold Haddington mm. and we could keep a garrison in here, then we can dominate the local area. That's right. And so the French and the Scots were coming to, to knock the, the English out of Haddington. So when people think about a siege, you normally think, oh, well, it must have been the Scots on the inside and the English on the outside. That's the normal siege thing. But no, this is the other way around. What we've got is the English garrison with their Scottish allies mm -hmm. on the inside of the mm -hmm. town and the French coming with their Scottish allies mm -hmm. surrounding the place. So it's the other way around. Uh, I was going to ask you, yeah. the next question was, uh, I was going to ask you to explain how this period of time uh, is important in the, in the history of, of Haddington specifically and, and Scotland as a whole. But I think wow. you've... Uh, yeah, you've, I mean, this is big time, big yes. time politics. This is European to politics. Absolutely. We've, we've got France involved. Yes. We've got the Holy Roman Empire involved. We've got uh, Scotland and England thrashing it out again. Um, and Haddington is the centre of this campaign, which is going to be happening um, from a... Warfare point of view, yeah, it's the Renaissance. Things have changed yes. rapidly uh, since the even since Flodden, really, and, yeah. and, and the Bannockburn and things like that. Things have gone. Why? Well, we've got gunpowder on the battlefield now, so th so the way we do fighting changes, and yes. importantly, the way Gosh. we build our forts to withstand artillery bombardment has changed. And what we find with the campaigns in, in Scotland at this time is the introduction of something called Trace Italian Fortifications. Now Trace, trace Italian. Italian. So it's kind of a, it's in the name there as a clue. So this was the plan, the pattern of how to build a fort which would withstand artillery bombardment. Mm -hmm. And the first guys to really think about this was the Italians in southern Mediterranean because they had the, the threat of the Turkish Empire, Ottoman yeah. Empire and all this kind of thing. So they got their head around how to build a, 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 the best type of fort. Yeah. I'm choosing my words really carefully here because this is not a castle. The castles were the old stuff. Castles with big high walls yes. made big targets. Yes. And these cannons could actually hit the side of a barn. Yes. And castles are bigger yes. than the side of a barn. Yeah. So what you want to do is reduce the profile of the fort, of the wall. And the best way of doing that is to sink it into the ground. Right. So now instead of having a big tall wall to try and get ladders and throw stuff over the top of, you're sinking that into the ground with a ditch in the yeah. front of it. So if you're going yes. to attack it, you're going yes. to have to take a ladder, go down the ditch, and then you've got another yeah. big wall to climb up the other side. So yeah. you're dropping it. But the profile of the, of the amount of wall that's exposed to artillery fire 
is less, it shrinks, it goes yes, lower I see and that. lower, and so you get a squat rampart. The other technological improvement sounds really, really simple. Stop building our walls out of stone. We'll build them out of mud, dirt. Mm -hmm. So you dig that ditch, what are you going to do with all the spoil? Oh, you pile that off. Yeah. And so you produce a rampart and yes. ditch structure. And that sounds a little bit like going back to the Roman times. Yes. However, what it means against artillery is the cannonball will bury itself into the mud rather than smash through stone. So exposed stonework was susceptible to artillery fire, whereas mud embankments, the, the cannonball would just thud into it. Yes, and actually, kind of like a pillow? Yeah, like yes. a pillow, yeah. And actually, it's much easier to f fix up the damage. You don't need stonemasons, you don't need to, yes. to, to cement Indeed. and mortar. All you need to do is pile the mud back on. And that produces fixes the bridge. It's actually, it is genius. Uh, and, you know, we are sitting in the age of Renaissance and we've got people like Machiavelli sit, oh, sitting, talking about these things. The science, the art of war. And because of the, invent, well, the introduction of gunpowder. So there's a lot of thinking goes behind it. And actually what happens in the end is that they design fortifications which every inch of the wall is covered by a, a cannon. So if you come up to the wall at any point, there'll be a cannon firing at you down the length of the wall. And if you think about that, that is kind of mathematical problem. That's like an O-level maths question. How do you cover every inch of a wall with a cannon? Gosh, yes. Um, and the designs they came up with are, um, and this is where we could really do with a, a video, <laughs> but the design they come up with are angular bastions, triangular bastions. Okay. Now, a good example of that is um, later on in history. In fact, when, when you look at Scottish castles, there are lots of them around. You yes. just don't notice them. Tantallon yes. has one of these angular bastions yes. at the front of Tantallon Castle, yes. for example. I know what you mean. Dunbar, yeah. Berwick is classic these angular bastion yes. fortifications. Fort George is, yes. is an 18th century. Yes. So we get the drift. You know, yes. See the image. Unlike the, the 12th century um, uh, structures yeah, when like they started using and, stone, yeah. Yeah, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Tantalon is a fantastic example because you've got the old medieval, yes. early medieval fortress, and then they've had to advance the fortifications yeah. from forward and forward yeah. because the guns were firing in at blowing up this this medieval fort so they yeah. pushed the guns back by pushing the earthworks out and they d built a triangular thing which you could look at today which is a bastion yeah. at the front of Tintalan castle absolutely so wow so the big issue is though so where are our angular bastions then in yeah. Haddington well the issue being is that as quickly as they are to build because you're only digging a ditch and piling yeah. up the earth they are as quick to destroy when you finished with them. Yes. So after the siege, which went on for 15 months, after the siege, the, the English, before they left, filled in the ditches. And then the French and the Scots came along and they made sure they filled in the ditches and flattened the place because they didn't want anybody else coming again to Haddington to use this built rampart and these fortifications. It's very convenient. Well, it's really inconvenient for archaeologists. <laughs> <laughs> Historians will say, oh, there's no sign, there's no evidence of this yes. fortification left yes. in the landscape. We're, that's a red rag to a bull to archaeologists because yes. we look at it and say, nah, you can't just get rid of ditches, yes. 60, you know, 30 yeah. foot deep ditches. That's intriguing Yeah, bit. archaeology should be able to find it. And that's where shruggers come in. 
Yes. Because what we're trying to do is show to the, through the history, show the archaeologists where to look. That's what we're that's what we're doing. Everything we can find, every reference to the siege and to the build and to the town and where the most likely possible chances, the most likely location for this fortifications are, that's what we're trying to, to work out. Which ties in very nicely to my next question, which is what is the main aim of well, the group? Yes, we, we, that was our main aim, to, to, to identify the locations of the fortifications. But we've kind of gone off track. <laughs> Why because, is that? <laughs> because we, because it, was ever, it, was, it just wasn't just about uh, the mechanics of warfare. It was the, we've soon realised we're talking about real life people yes. here. And we're talking about a town and we're yes. talking about society, the social, his- the social history. history. And we're not just talking about Haddington either. We're talking about the whole of East Lothian. Absolutely. In fact, we were talking about South East Scotland yes. at this time of occupation. And there were so many interesting portals to go and have a look at and to investigate that we've kind of said, well, blow it. We'll, we'll collect everything if we can. And we'll, yes. we'll look at all kinds of things about 16th century East Lothian. So it's more because comprehensive. Because they all tie into yeah. the siege, because the siege had an effect across Absolutely. the whole of the area. More comprehensive than just the location of the... Yeah, yeah, the trace ditch. Italian yes, stuff. Yes, the trace yeah, Italian yeah. stuff. But no, we're, we're talking about real-life people. Um, to an extent that we think we've identified the names of the occupants of every house down the High Street, Hardgate, Sidegate of Haddington in the 1560s. Now, I'm again being very careful about my words here. From Borough Records, after the siege and after all the rough wooing and all this kind of thing, Haddington was recovering and taking a bit of a battering. Um, and by the 15. 1550s, early 1550s, or people going around town um, assessing the damage or assessing the potential for paying local taxes and Mm. rents and things. And at one point, they went down the high street, and you can almost imagine the chap doing this, measuring out the frontage of every property and then knocking on the door and saying, who owns this? Mm. So what they were doing is assessing the size of the plot to say how much rent they could charge, the council could charge, and then who's going to pay? Early form of of valuation rules. Yes, Yes. absolutely. So, and what the guy did, obviously, because he wrote about a big list which we have in the archives here, is um, he they they went down the high street, door by door by door by door. So we not only do we have a person, uh, and we have the size of the property, but we have the relationship along the high street. And if you plot that list onto the modern high street, onto a 19th century ordnance survey map, mm-hmm. it's incredible how it all fits in. Yeah. And if you walk down the high street today, you'll see the roods set out, the, the, the width of the properties are all about the same yeah. or, or a um, uh, two times or three times that rude length. Yeah. And that is the medieval plots of the of the old town. And this is the frontal, the frontal view plot. and measurements. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so any changes are upwards or backwards. Upwards and backwards. Yeah, that's right. Now, the, the, that's absolutely brilliant. Now we've got two things. Now we know the extent of the properties and and the um, and where where and where there wasn't land which is as important as, yeah. as where there were buildings. Yeah. So uh, suddenly when you get to actually the John Gray Centre, yeah. if you look out the window to the west now, so it's all kind of open space. Yes. And to our to the east is all higgledy-biggledy medieval stuff. That's right. And mm. that's for a reason. 
That's, we think that's because during the siege, they, the English came along, they looked at the place and said, look, we need about, we're going to put 2,000 guys into this place. So we need property to be able to put them in, bedrooms, and we need accommodation. But actually, all that stuff down the west end of town, mm -hmm. that's not as good quality. Uh, and it's made of wood and, and, and it's inflammable. And the last thing you want in a siege situation is your properties going up in smoke Absolutely. with incendiaries. So they flattened them. They got rid of them. And then they used the stuff from those buildings to make the, help make the defences. And we think that accounts for the change in the architecture as it comes down the road. The medieval stuff persisted to about here, the John Gray Centre, and then further out west, it kind of goes, it kind of disappears off the record. And it's mm. because of, we think, of this development of the town, this flattening of houses, ridding the ground, they call it, to produce fields of fire, etc., around the place. Wow. So that's the impact on the architecture. The impact on the people is yes. interesting too, because we've got a list of names of people who lived in the town, who owned property in Haddington after the siege. And then you start tracking those names back to before the siege, and then ask the question, how did they survive? <laughs> how did you know, these people make it from 1540 to 1550 Goodness. in one piece? Yes. And there's all kinds of stories going on there about how they would they yes. align with the English for one day yeah. and then they would go across the Scots, the, the French, for another time and they were all given um, pardons at the end of it because although the, the Scots and the French realised these guys had aligned with the English, well, actually, after the siege, well, Haddington needs to get back on its feet. It's the breadbasket of Edinburgh. Yeah. We need to keep this place going. And actually, those Scots, while well, they were under pressure, we'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And the names persist from yeah. before and after. So the, the people of Haddington are real survivors. You know, yes. They know how to look after themselves. And they've, they, they've um, come through this occupation, not in the greatest condition, but they have survived the occupation fantastic findings it's brilliant it's yes, brilliant such a personal absolutely. statement and if you have a look at the list of names i'm sure there are names of people around haddington today who can track back yeah. to those ancestors some who, some who local there. names local could you tell names. me what they yeah. are uh, because we'll i to, deal with a lot of yeah, we'll have family to get history the inquiries well, coburns and, yeah. Yeah, and and oh dear yeah i'll we'll have to get the list and out and do that. Ab absolutely do that <laughs> i know you have to keep some things secret yeah. so so john Tell us, what are the activities that the group uh, has, you know, physical activities uh, mm. and other activities that, that the group has organised uh, or, or been involved in thus far? I mean, you've explained, you've given us the background information and some of the findings yeah. as a teaser. Yeah. Uh, so what have you been doing physically? Well, we like to, we, we initially thought we'll just keep it secret. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll go and do the research and see what happens. But then people started becoming interested. Yes. And we were telling these stories and more and more people came along and said, can you, can you do a seminar? Can you do a presentation? Can you, can you share your knowledge? And then as a history society, we thought, well, that's actually what we're here to do. We're Absolutely. here to find stuff and share it with a, grand, uh, with a great public. So um, that's what we, we've done, our uh, East Lothian Archaeological Fortnight presentations yes. every year. We go online, join COVID, we had online presentations and okay. lectures. But this year, we've started to get out back into the field and we've been doing some surveys, some archaeological surveys around the place. Uh, we started off by having a look at um, a very odd lump of ground out in Amersfield, okay. opposite the golf course on the north bank of the Tyne. 
um, we were told it was a potato ramp in a, a field, ramp. a potato ramp. Uh, the idea was that uh, the fields were once used for potatoes and you mm-hmm. could load the yes. carts up by going up the ramp and pouring the potatoes into your wagon and taking As it part away. of the Amos Field estate. As part of Historically, the, of the, yeah. Uh, of the yeah. estate, yeah. Fair enough. However, I was thinking I've seen something very similar at Leith in Edinburgh. Okay. And Leith in 1560 was the scene of another siege of which the English were on the outside and the French were on the inside. And the English built these mounds, and they're still there today in Pilrig, um, around there in the park and stuff. Yeah. These mounds where you put your cannon. You yes. build a, like a mound. And I'm you seeing a picture it. here. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. drag your cannon up the top, and then from there you can fire into the town. Or, mm-hmm. and, and these camps and these forward gun positions were the uh, beginning of the siege works to attack any fortified place. And that lump... That potato ramp looked very similar to lumps we've seen in other siege mm. situations. So we thought, well, we know the uh, French and the Scottish uh, uh, army had to have somewhere to stay whilst they were doing this 15-month siege. And we know from the records they had to set up siege camps. And one of them was meant to be at the abbey yes. to the east. Yes. And there was this big lump. And we thought, well, is this big lump, one of these forward gun positions, associated with the, the camp that was set up by the abbey? It, made, it seemed to have made sense. So, so all the, the big wigs could stay in the abbey complex yes. and, and then the men could sleep in the camp. And to protect that camp, they would need this gun battery position. And so we started to, we did a, a survey of it. And the good news is, yes, it is man-made. It's not natural. But there was no dating evidence on on the mound itself to say when it was built so it's still a little bit intriguing it looks like a gun position it feels like a gun position but there's no archaeological evidence to say it is so 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 far so good but we'll need more research on that one and this will involve the archaeologists yeah of course it does it's taken this because what we've got this information from the history book saying they should be there yeah. It should be in that location. Yeah. Now we have to have the archaeology teams in to, to prove that it was. Exactly. Um, since that particular uh, potato ramp incident, <laughs> we've found, we think we've identified another two sites for camps in the local area. One is at Clarkington yes. uh, by Letham Burn as it crosses the Letham Burn on the left-hand side. I think it's called, and correct me if I'm wrong now, the Dovecot Mill housing estate has just been recently built in that area that seems to be a perfect position for the clarkington siege camp and there's another one out at letham on the main edinburgh road yeah uh again probably where the letham burn crosses the road somewhere in that location so So what what we're on the what gave you the um what was the indication or the suggestion ah well you have to go back to the to the uh history books first of all there's letters being produced by at the time saying it's all right the 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 scots have uh, scots and the french have arrived and they've built a camp at clerkington or they've built a camp at letham or they're now encamped at the nunnery so that there's indications within the written text saying Mm -hmm. these camps exist so that's that's pretty good and then you've got to realize well every now and then they would say today we we that we were bombarded by the guns which were at the Clarkington camp. Now, if you go to the the records <clears throat> again, go back to those Italians and say how when you calculated all this stuff out, what the range of the guns that they were using? So, so you take that information, put it on a big map, and you can say, oh, well, it's just about in gun range. Clarkington mm. is just about in gun range of Haddington. Yes. 
and they would oh, annoy gosh, yes. each other. They wouldn't do much damage, but it just it's enough to to send a few cannonballs over every now and then. It makes sense on the accounts. Then you draw a big circle around Haddington. Right. And funny enough, uh, the Abbey is just about in gun range. Clarkington's just about in gun range. Letham Camp is just about in gun range. So you know, you again, you've got this zone around the town, which should make sense if you're yeah. going to have cannons yeah. firing into town. They yeah. make sense. Wow. Then from there, especially in the first few months of the of the siege, what the French did was start to strike out from these base camps, heading towards the fortifications. Of course, we don't exactly know where the fortifications were. So now we're looking at the records and they're saying the French built trenches and they built yeah. saps and they un started undermining fortifications yeah. and a bit like World War One, but as the trenches got closer and closer yeah. to the, the walls of the fortification, a proper siege going on. Um, we know for certain most of the action takes place on the south and west side of town. Okay. And if you have a think about that, one of the ideal places for all this to happening is under the rugby pitch. Haddington mm, Rugby because Club. It, it, this t again ties in very nicely to my um, next question, mm. and that that is, you know, what did Haddington look like <laughs> in the sixteenth century? I mean, I've seen a sketch yeah. in one of the history books. I'm I'm not so sure if that was. I think it was more seventeenth century, you know, where you could yeah, see Saint the, Mary's and, right. and all Salisa's the fields. Print of that famous sketch. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, yes. And. Yes. Uh, I'm just trying to picture. Yeah, you're good. That's a good way to, good thing to start out with because we don't have a picture. No. We don't have a picture of 16th sketch. century yeah. Haddington that, that is as accurate. Of course, we don't have any maps either. No. The nearest map we've got is a map, the uh, a sketch map, the Adair map. The Adair map. And you can yeah. see a little triangle of. Yes. Things. That's great because it shows you the extent of those medieval properties within that, within that triangle. And had to, had, the scary thing is, Haddington after the siege doesn't really change much. It's almost an indicator of the, of the lack of money going into the place, the yes. difficulty it has recovering. Um, you, you see in the map regression that the town doesn't really expand much until 19th, 20th century. It's like, yes. oof, it goes on oh, out gosh, again. Yes. So, so all the maps are this isosceles Triangle of houses, critical houses. Um, so really to answer your question, for me, is what, what happens when the English turned up here? What did they see? What was mm. their town like? And then how did that influence where they were going to put the line of the fortifications? Well, we're talking about a royal borough here. We're talking about a royal borough and it's bustling. It's the it's a, it's a, well, top five in, in the country. Yeah, happening place. Ma happening place. Yeah. Lots of economy, lots of money coming into town. Absolutely. It's, it's attractive to the to protect of Somerset and the English because it is such a prosperous place. And if they could, sus it could sustain a garrison and it means that you can make sure all the corn and all the agriculture around yeah. here, all the sheep, all the wool doesn't go to Edinburgh if you want to switch off the uh, supply of grain, yeah. where have we heard that recently, um, to, to, huh. to Scotland. You know, well, why best you can, this is a real up and coming place here. Yes. And, it, and it's a valuable place as well, a lot of trade going on. So it's a bustling town. Uh, we, okay, we'll have some of that then, yes. the English think, Indeed. For, for, for various reasons. Um, so you, we've got to imagine these English engineers coming in and seeing the town and going, right, what, how can we defend? Because there is no castle no. in Haddington at the time. 
There is no uh, town wall. Is not the, the town wall we know and love today. It wasn't built at that point. Yeah. But the they kind of there was a kind of ditches and at the end of the the, the rig the garden of the yeah. property there'll be a ditch and maybe yeah. it's built up a bit. Yeah. But it's more to stop illegal trading than it yeah. was armies. There were ports which were okay. Yeah. Uh, again, they were mainly to stop traders yeah. bypassing the, the the way into town to go to the market. Yeah. They marked the end of the borough and and yeah. what happened outside the borough. You could be chucked outside the borough. Yeah. Well, that meant you were thrown out of the port, Absolutely. out of the gate. Yeah. Um, uh, and actually, they, they were in a pretty poor state when the mm. English came in. Um, there was only two buildings in town where the English thought they could use in any form of accommodation for their offices or make into a defensive building. One was St Mary's, yes, as you can imagine. Of Big church, yes. massive church, but it was kind of remote and too far out of town. The other one was the toll booth, yes. and every borough town has a toll yes, booth. that's right. And ours is just over the, not where we opposite where we're sitting at the moment, but just over by the garden, opposite the Gardener's Arms pub in that that's right. square. It was sitting in there, and that was the, the best building it had a jail at the bottom yes. council chambers and it was pretty yes. high and pretty well built and, yes. and could withstand maybe some of that artillery fire so they based themselves in there mm. but otherwise i mean where were we were going to put this ditch and rampart thing yeah. to protect the town and these engineers actually on day one went out and started marking it out it seems really stupid but they peg and string and yes. they say dig here yes. you know and and yeah. their guys they had about at the time they had about 1500 men um who were english soldiers and spanish mercenaries because okay. it's very much an international affair um and the spanish mercenaries refused to dig they said no we're here to fight <laughs> um and so the poor old english soldiers were left to do the digging but they managed to uh, pull in a labour force from the locals. So the Haddingtonians ah. came along to help build the fortifications. And at one point we have one letter which says that, you know, those Haddingtonians have done a fine job at preparing the defences of Haddington. Well, that's the local involvement. Whoa, that's, that's heavy. You know, that's, that's, you know, that's them making the decision. Very significant. Yeah. Look, the English have turned up. That looks a pretty formidable force there. They, they're not going to go away like Pinky last year. Yeah. They're going to stay. Well, in that case, then I better be on their side yeah. for as long as I need to be on their yeah. side. Yeah. And we'll trade and we'll, we'll, we'll help and we will put them up in our houses and this kind of thing. So you have that um, problem for the mm-hmm. English. So it's very important to understand what Haddington looked like, what was going on in the yes. town, and how then that sh- literally shaped the, the fortification building process. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm trying to picture it in my mind because all I see is the 1819 woods map of the mm, centre of town. Mm, mm, but by then, you know, mm. all the, the buildings uh, were established with the yeah. names of all the proprietors. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. modern. Yeah, it comparatively. is. Comparatively. It is. Yeah. It, it, it kind of, we're, we're, we're still working on it, but you've got the isosceles triangle, mm. the long isosceles mm-hmm. triangle, the layout. So you imagine all those got the necessary houses, as the, as the English called them, the big stone houses, two or three stories, being able to, um, with traders working out of the bottom of it, but yeah. accommodation above that. Um, and they were going to house the garrison and become the main headquarters and then we'll put a wall around that yes. we'll, we'll put the fortification around that mm. to protect that 
we're going to get rid of all the cruddy houses on one, one yeah. end of the street because they, they would be incendiary problems with that. So they clear down the, uh, the, the non-posh side. Yeah. They've got the, uh, they try to knock down St Mary's and there's some wonderful letters from Protector Somerset writing to the garrison commanders saying, have you knocked the church down yet? You've really got to knock the church down. Oh, you, look, you've got to get rid of that church. Oh, um, well, why? Well, it's actually too far and it's outside the fortifications. So if you leave this great big massive building, very tall building, where you can put cannons to yes. fire into the town, that's going to be a problem. So you've got to get rid of it now. That's one of the oldest kirks in Scotland. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, it's no, not it, what you want on the battlefield. No, <laughs> on the outside, you know, not. you can have them on the inside maybe, Gosh. but not on the outside. Yeah. So we've got, really got to knock the church down. And of course, the commanders here, they they were working against the clock. Not, not only did they have a few men to do the build, but they their intelligence, their spies were coming mm. back saying the French are coming, the French are coming, yeah. you know, big army coming, guys. Yeah. And and they didn't know it at the time, but they had three months to build this fortification. Three months to build a fortification <laughs> around the town. So they literally cut corners. Mm. <laughs> literally, this trace Italian thing, yes. they literally cut corners off and, and yeah. things they wanted to build, they didn't build. Uh, and one of the things they didn't get around to, as we know, was flattened St. Mary's. Yes. But they did have a cunning plan, though. Well, they did went and they, they undercut all the, the crofts and all, the, um, all the, um, the, the foundations of the church and um, put wooden piles underneath them. Mm. And the idea was, as soon as the French moved into the church, the English would bombard the church and try and set fire to these piles of, and, and bring the whole thing down, down. on the heads yeah. of the... Counter move. Yeah, and yeah. That, didn't, that didn't work, obviously, because okay. it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they did manage to do an awful lot of damage to the church and the roof was taken yes. out and this kind of thing. So, yes. And we know subsequent to that, it's taken to the 1970s to get the roof put back on. Yes. And that's all because of the siege. Yes. The, the English did an awful lot of damage. Wow. At, at one point, um, there were some German mercenaries who had, had come all the way from Europe to come to good old Scotland, a bit like the fringe before, you know, when it comes to, <laughs> to Edinburgh. Uh, but they'd come across and they'd established themselves in a, uh, having their breakfast on, on the south side of the church. And an English gunner had spotted them having their breakfast through the church. Now, even that expression, you know, you can see through the church because it had been blasted, yes. had so many holes in it. They, he could spot these Germans having their breakfast and he aims his cannon, he shot, the cannonball through the church and out the other side and Gosh. disrupted these these germans their having breakfast. Their breakfast. <laughs> yeah it's an englishman an <laughs> english like to do but that's what they did but that little narrative tells you so much about the state of the church at the time Gosh. and if you go and have a look at yeah. it it's got lots of patched up holes and you yes know, that's and you right. look at the, the 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 fabric of the church you can almost it's like a bit like minecraft you could take a little bit out of chunk of the church and yes. take away the repair, you'd then get an image of what the church looked like at the time of the siege. Goodness. So, so yeah, yeah. So things like that. Um, the Nungate Bridge was up, of course, yes, still, and, and, and remained up, which is kind of weird as well, because both sides thought it was necessary to keep that bridge up standing. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. Um, also, the West Port was involved, North East Port, yes. uh, East Port, yes. St John's Port. All these things get a mention in the, in the accounts during the siege as well. Fantastic. Tell me, um, what is, you've mentioned uh, the elements 
that you have discovered so far. Yes. Yeah. But what, in your opinion, is, is your most interesting discovery so far? Um, the people. I really do like the, 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 the connection with the, the people. The stories, yeah? Yeah. The, 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 yeah, and, and it's that stepping stone to the next level. Um, and it takes you beyond the town itself. It takes you into East Lothian. Yes. So you've got these names. These guys are not necessarily living in town. They have properties. In, they're the owners of, the, of these properties. Yes. So it's like their townhouse and market day they'll come in and they'll, they'll have somewhere to stay and they're, they're, yes. they're owning this property and taking the rent off that. Yes. But these people have got estates all over East Lothian. Yes. And this is what really fascinates me about the siege. We kind of get fixated on fighting, but there's all this other warfare going on in East Lothian at, at the time. So in these three months as, as the English are here building, they're also raiding they're knocking on those doors. They're going to get assurance of the local Scots. That's right. And so they're taking the war all the way to uh, the, the River Esk. Yes. They're burning okay. Dalkeith. They're burning Musselburgh. Fisher Row in mm. Musselburgh is burnt at the, at the mm. same time. It's been going on for years beforehand. Yeah. It goes on for years afterwards, but they're, they're, they're destroying the place. So the impact of this siege, 15 months of st- warfare going on, not to mention all the pinky stuff and the post-siege stuff, it's this whole occupation yeah. of of East Lothian is is a bigger history to it, and so you get see uh, attacks at Dunbar. We get the battle of um, called the Battle of the Tuesday Chase at Linton Bridge. Okay. So there's stuff going on all in, around the area, all connected to keeping the garrison in Haddington fed, watered, and strong. Yes. Um, the logistics of it is absolutely incredible. 16th century military logistics to, to feed 2,000 guys stuck here. And it's no wonder under the circumstances in the middle of winter, you get plague, you get desertion, you get um, disease. They're killing their horses for horse meat. We do get the we're eating cats and dogs type narratives. You do? Which, which you always think is the, is the worst possible scenario oh, did, of a Did siege. you actually encounter? Yeah, this idea that they, was, they were killing the, the horses. They were eating yes. things okay. that you wouldn't normally eat. Yes. <laughs> they were, they, the houses were so blown about that well, they, they in, were yeah. camping in cabinets in the middle of winter underneath the lee of the fortification. Yes, it's a conflict scenario. Oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a hellish place. And plague breaks out again. Um, oh, and, yes. and it's ravaged, the whole, the whole place is ravaged by plague. So although the fighting is kind of finished during the, during the summer, during the winter of 1548-49, this place must have been a hellhole. And imagine being posted here from sunny Italy or Spain or Germany and then saying, you're going to Haddington, where the hell? <laughs> you know? And it is when they get here to, to, to live in this town and, and, and live in this countryside as well. What I do like, though, is that there is a secret history going on here. Um, oh, I like secret history. Yeah, naval warfare in the Firth of Forth, because a lot of this stuff is coming in through Abilady. There's a yes. lot of ships knocking around. Because that was the port of Haddington. Yeah, so there's a lot of French ships off the coast. There's a lot of English ships taking them on. There are French galleys being sunk off in the, the coast of Tantalon Castle. Mm. Mm. There's a whole bunch of stuff. So the naval warfare is really interesting. And finally, we've got this idea of it being a European war of every man and his dog coming here. So we've got Germans, we've got Spanish-Italian mercenaries, we've got Albanian horsemen 
course, mm-hmm. Giannettes and Stradios, who are like the border horsemen from the from Scotland. That's oh. they're coming. Albanian horsemen arriving here to come and fight in Haddington. That's that's crazy. At one point during the campaign, you get German mercenaries fighting German mercenaries outside Dundee. <laughs> you know, it's credible. German mercenaries fighting, fighting German, German mercenaries. mercenaries. One set for fighting for the Scots, one set for fighting for the English, meeting outside in D- of Dundee. Oh. This is an international war. This is where you come in 1548 to, to earn your money as a mercenary. Yeah. Wow. And the, um, we've got Italian and Spanish casualties yeah. here in Haddington. Yeah, and we've mentioned the French. And the French, oh yeah, and a few Frenchmen. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it is a real just, international... Just a few. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. Um, so what activity uh, is the group planning okay, in, in, yeah. the, in the very near future? Yeah, well, we've got ELAF coming up again this yes. year. Um, in um, June, we laid a wreath uh, in Lady Kitty's garden to commemorate the, 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 commemorate the day that the English commanders gave uh, a holiday to the to the English soldiers uh, um, because they've been building this thing to go up to the local hill and watch the French army arrive so they all go up and onto uh, onto, oh. onto the local hill watch the French arrive take a few beers go up there and at the end of the day the French approaching they all come back into town shut the gates and the siege begins on the 1st of July I see. so we, we laid a wreath to commemorate that holiday rather than the, the fighting to, to commemorate that holiday um, and in Lady Kitty's now they're going to put up a uh, because we laid a wreath. Blooming Haddington got in touch and said, uh, "Well, I asked them, you know, what kind of wreath can we lay and this kind of thing." Oh, they said that's a brilliant idea. Well, let's go one f- further. We'll have a memorial garden. So oh, within the Blooming Haddington campaign, yes. they're now going to set up a permanent, semi-permanent. I don't know whether the garden is permanent, but um, a, a, a memorial garden which features some of the um, iconology of the, of the siege and baskets and siege baskets and yeah. gun, but with lots of flowers over oh. it. So that's to be a memorial garden, which is really important to do. Um, and then Wonderful s- link to history. It is, Absolutely. and it's, it's a lovely place. So Lady Kitty's right middle between the church yes, and one side. Right. And, and you've got the St Mary's Pleasance there, that's which is already very beautiful. Very beautiful. And this, this narrative, um, actually in 1548, around about October, there was a, a French attack, a sneak attack at night, and they came from the back of St Mary's, came up the sands, burst their way into Church Street and was repelled in Church Street. About 300 Frenchmen were killed in that sortie. So there's a gruesome, horrible history to that area of Haddington as well. Um, so the, the, it kind of marks that. I mean, it's a great spot to have those narratives. Yes, and I think so. those stories. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. Soon after that, we had a siege symposium, which we brought all the academics who know anything about 16th century warfare to Haddington and gave them the plans and said, look, try, can you answer this question? Where mm-hmm. are the fortifications? Came up with a few, few more lines of inquiry so we're going to do follow those up over this summer okay another sort of symposium uh what we'll do is do the results of the symposium for the uh, during the archaeology fortnight yeah there'll be a presentation yes to say this is what the symposium came up with will it be recorded uh it can be i can Mm. i can ask we can get it online yeah. yeah, no, it's just to inform yeah. the public if they yeah. are unable to attend yes. or if they are interested in the findings, the discussion, etc. You know, how do they go about accessing? 
um, this I, I think if, if you're material. interested, if you're really interested, join the History Society because we're yes. always talking about it. And you can join the group. You can join yes, Shrug absolutely. and become one of, the, one of the researchers for this. Yeah. Um, and, and no previous experience of I, 16th century warfare required. I was uh, going to ask, <laughs> can members of the public uh, get involved yeah, and how? Certainly. Yeah. yeah, join the History Society and then we can, you can come along and, and be a part of the team. Um, and hopefully in uh, September, early September, we'll be having a geophys of the Holy Trinity Church area, the Episcopal yes. Church on Church Street. Um, like I mentioned, that was a scene of heavy fighting. It was also, um, we know it's the, the, the Scottish um, besiegers called it the Franciscan Bastion. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a gun position for the English mm-hmm. at that point. Uh, but more importantly, underneath the church, there is a Franciscan priory somewhere. Mm. <laughs> um, so we want to know where the foundations of that are. Yes. We thought, well, well, let's do a bit of geophys and see whether yes. we can spot that the area, the area of yeah. uh, whether, where the layout of the Franciscan precinct is. And that would be very uh, And then the backstory to that is then we'll make it into a bastion and fill it with English, people, English guns and things so we have a better understanding of what that place looked like. Um, so we're going to do that in September and hopefully we can get some results out before I do my presentation and we can get hot off the press news about... Fantastic. About and that. this is for, is it for the fortnight? For the fortnight. Yes, for the Archaeology Fortnight, fortnight event. Yes. Specifically yeah. or, uh, and if you for pop by, the Shrug group. Yeah, and yes. if you pop by on that Sunday whilst we're doing the bleeping, whilst we're doing the geophys, we, we'll be happy to chat you through it and, and to, uh, um, show people what we've trying to find uh, that day. Wonderful. Thank you so much, John, for all this fascinating, enlightening, um, but very, very well-researched uh, yeah, information. The, the team are doing a fine job. The Shrug Group, who are all primary local historians, uh, they're doing a great job at digging through the archives here yes, uh, and in, they in are. Edinburgh. And, uh, yeah, so we're, we're getting an, an awful lot done. We just need that platform to be able to use it and display it and to show it. Um, and ELAF is one way, and perhaps in the future we can do our videos, we can, we can have a website, Absolutely. we can have a virtual museum, yeah. this kind of thing. I uh, feel very privileged to be a little bit privy to what's going on and, and seeing the work being done. <laughs> it's absolutely marvellous. Thank you, thank you again for making time to, to tell us all about it. And good luck thank you with, with all your future activities. Maybe we'll do another podcast in the future certainly, with updates. Certainly, with loads of updates. That's yes, great. Loads of more stories out there. Wonderful. Thank you, John. Pleasure.